this one or this one? All right, good, good afternoon. Um, today I will be beginning a, the, this new series, the final series of Rhythm with Christ. And uh, that's been our theme for this year. Uh, so far we've gone through the rhythm of prayer, work, and rest. And now our final rhythm is the rhythm of relationship with Christ. And at the same time, as KJ mentioned, it's uh, to prepare you guys for the membership quorum in December 17th. Uh, so this sermon series will cover some of the most basic things we believe as members of TLC. And in that way, they will serve as a kind of membership class in place of the ones we will hold for new members in the future. Um, and perhaps out of the rhythms, um, out of all the rhythms, um, there, there's no better rhythm than the rhythm of relationships uh, to cover these topics. Because out of all the rhythms we've gone over so far, um, you, you might say this is the most fundamental one of them all. Uh, because the God we worship created us for relationship with himself and with one another. And so in today's sermon, I will, be, uh, I will share uh, the primary relationship by which we understand every other relationship. And that is the relationship of God to us. Uh, so with that, uh, let's turn our Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 7 to 21. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. And um, if you are there uh, and, and you're able to, uh, please stand uh, to show me that you're there and as an act of worship as we hear the reading of God's word. Uh, this is God's word from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with, the, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. 
Um, can I pray for us one more time? Um, Lord, um, we humble your we humble ourselves under your word, and we just ask that you would allow your word to speak to our hearts. We ask for your help because often our hearts are hardened and our ears are slow to hear. So we ask for your spirit's help and would you use this um, unworthy and weak servant as myself to be able to speak your words. We, we pray all of this for the, for, the, for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, if someone asked you can you explain to me what Christianity is? How would you answer that? Um, you know, this is a question that, you know, I hear actually when we go out to FOMO and we evangelize. What is Christianity? And I might answer like this. At its core, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. What do you mean by that? Well, let me unpack it a little bit. Uh, this doesn't mean that Christianity does not involve a set of beliefs and practices by which we live by. It does, but it is more than that. At the heart of Christianity is a relationship with the God who has made us and revealed himself to us and has loved us. So when we say Christianity at its core is not a religion but a relationship, we mean something more specific. Simply put, the difference comes down just to a few words. Religion says you do in order to be loved Relationship says you do because you are loved. Let me say that again. Religion says you do in order to be loved. A relationship says you do because you are loved. Or in the language of 1 John, we love because he first loved us. So the simplest answer to the question, what is Christianity, is this. Christianity is a relationship with God. And what sort of relationship, you might ask, it's a relationship of love. At the heart of Christian faith, there's a relationship of love with a God who is perfect love, who demonstrates that love for us most perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ. So if you forget anything, uh, remember that sentence. Christianity is a relationship of love with a God who is perfect love and demonstrates that love for us in Jesus. And my sermon has five points. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. But the relationship with God to us is the most fundamental relationship by which every other relationship is derived from. Every other relationship is, um, um, uh, comes from. And, and the difference between this relationship and the relationship we have, um, you could say that the relationship we have with each other is a, is a symmetrical, it's an equal relationship, right? But the relationship with you and God is unique in that it's asymmetrical or it's unequal, Right? I stole this from a book, right? It's not my own words, okay? But it's unequal, right? But it, you get it, what it's saying, right? And that's, the, what, that's what John is telling us, right? The for, first and fundamental relationship you need in your life is an un, unequal one. And that's why people call it the scandal of grace because God gives you and he doesn't get anything much in return. He gives you everything. He loves you first. And that is at the heart of the gospel. That is at the heart of all relationships that you need this relationship, this unequal relationship with God. And so it starts with this first point, God is love. John tells us in today's passage two times that God is love. In verse 8 he says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 
And in verse 16, he says, so we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in his love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love. These three words contain the most precious truth in the universe. Someone were to ask you, who is God? It would be correct to say, God is love. In his very nature, in his character, his essence, his being, God is love. And that should blow us away. And if it doesn't, it has more to do with us than God. And these three words are more significant and unique than when, that when you might think. When God says he is love, right, um, the thing about God is he's simple. He's not like us. When I say simple, I don't mean it in a bad way, right? It's not like God is one plus one equals two, right? He's easy to grasp. That's not what we mean. When we say God is simple, it means that he's not made up of parts. He's not like the Powerpuff Girls, sugar, spice, everything nice, chemical X with ingredients to make the Powerpuff Girls. It's not like that, right? Um, God is what he is consistently, always. He's simple. When God says he's love, he's not like us where he's loving some of the time, but not all the time. God is always loving in everything that he does. So when we say God is simple, we also mean that, that God God's love is not separate from any of his other attributes, right? It means that, that when we say God is love, it's also his love is just and his love is patient. His love is even wrathful at times, right? And if you're a parent, you know this, right? If someone's trying to harm your children, your love is not going to look nice. It's going to be wrathful. And so once, when we say God is love, we mean that this that he is consistently that. That everything he does is loving. And so let me tell you why it's so amazing that God is love. First, it tells us that God is personal. Unlike some religions that teach that God is some impersonal force or just a convenient idea to explain things. Our God is personal when we say God is love. Secondly, it tells us that God is relational. God is not some detached, uninvolved, faraway being who doesn't care about us. He is a God who is intimately involved with his creation because he is love. And thirdly explains why we have the Bible and how we can know God, this God in the first place. It has been said that the Bible is God's love letter to humanity. Some have dis disagreed with this comparison because it implies that the main character of the Bible is us. And although I agree that the Bible's main character is not us, I still do believe it can be described as a love letter from God to humanity because it is addressed to us. God had it written down for us so, so that we might have his words and know who he is. The reason we have a Bible is because we believe God is love and therefore he communicates to us. He has spoken and he has revealed himself to us so that he might be known by us. He has given us his written record of his speaking and doing in history, his dealings with humanity, all in a book that he preserved through the supernatural work of his Holy Spirit, working through human authors who were carried along and guided by his Holy Spirit to write words that would speak authoritatively to us as words breathed out by God himself. I know that was a mouthful, but all in all, what it's saying is that God, because God loves us, God wrote us a love letter, and that's the Bible. Fourthly, God is love supports why God must be three in one. 
The God of the Bible reveals himself as both three and one, what Christians call the Trinity. This is how God reveals himself to us in scripture. If God didn't tell us this, we would not believe it or even come up with it. Because it's much more natural to believe that God is either one or he's many or everything, which many religions and philosophies have posited. But the Bible alone reveals that God is three and one. Three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally and eternally, one God. In other words, God is one what and three who's. And we can't fully grasp it. It's a mystery. A person in a group chat once said, mystery keeps romances alive. The greatest romance is found in the Bible. Because the God of the Bible is a God we can never fully grasp. We can truly know who he is in the ways that he has revealed to us, but we will never know him completely. For there will always be more to know. Even in heaven, there's going to be more to know of God as he invites us deeper and further into knowing him. And isn't that what makes God, God? He's not just some logical concept that you can make sense of or contain in your head. Or else he wouldn't be God. It would be something you invented, not a being infinite in wisdom, might, and glory. But um, going back to the point, for God to be love, why must he be three in one anyways? The best way to understand this is to compare this to actually other conceptions of God in ultimate reality. First, if you don't believe in God at all, then love is not real. Love is whatever you want it to be. It's not actually real. It's something you just made up. It's just something you... Uh, Something you, you come up with is a subjective feeling that could change at any time. It's chemicals in your head. It's just a biological thing that encourages reproduction, but nothing more. And secondly, if you believe in polytheism, if you believe that God is many, the problem with that is you cannot say God is love because you cannot have love where there's constant violence, rivalry, disunity, disagreement, contradiction. And thirdly, if you believe in exclusively one God, monotheism, you cannot say God is love eternally. Because that means God did not experience love until he created us. Because love needs another person to love. It means at the beginning of creation, there was a time when God was utterly and completely alone. There was a time in one sense, God depended on his creation to experience what love is. So a monotheistic God cannot be a fountain and source of all love. He's dependent upon his creation to experience that love. So that's the problem with monotheism and polytheism. And the same is true for, I'm sorry, this is, I know it's like a lot of information, but trust me, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off, okay? Um, the same is true for pantheism, the belief that God is impersonal, that he's a part of everything um, in creation. The reason why that is cannot support the idea of love being real and eternal is because love is personal. It requires individuality. It requires distinction. So remember we talked about the asymmetry, right? What that means is love brings harmony and unity between different things, but it doesn't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that everything is just a bland gray blob where all personalities are erased. The Bible tells us there's a distinction between creator and creation as there is a distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And therefore, real love is experienced between them. And God being three in one tells us that from the beginning, God truly is love. Right? And that should blow us away. And that's what John tells us. And this is, this is beautiful because it is, it, 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 it follows our deepest and um, longings and deepest intuitions that God, love must be real and eternal. I mean, even the Beatles sing about it, right? Love is all you need. All you need is love. All you need is love, right? And, and so what we as human beings desperately seek in life, what the Bible says is it's real and it's eternal. And so this is what John tells us. He says, let us love, brothers, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And in verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Whether you like it or not, God is the originator, the source, and the fountain of all love. And we were created to abide in him and he in us. We were created to be, share in the relationship with him. So every love experience that you experience in this world through relationships is a reflection of the love that is derived from God. We can only love because he first loved us. Even if you don't acknowledge him. And so... Um, what, 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 what um, you know, why did God create us then, right? And this is the second point is God created us for relationship with him. Um, every, um, John tells us in the beginning of his uh, letter in First John in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, um, That which you have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. God didn't make us because he needed to experience love, but he was already experiencing it. And he's inviting you. He was inviting you into that. The word fellowship here means participation or sharing in. And what God wants you to share in is in the perfect love relationship he has within himself. Which means God's deepest desire for you and me is to experience perfect love in relationship with him. And therefore God is love affirms the deepest intuitions that we have. That love must be real and eternal. And that's why John says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And in verse 20 it says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What John is telling us is that God is invisible. You cannot see him, right? But just like love, he is real. He is eternal. One of my mentors who was a, uh, a professor, right, this is how he would share the gospel uh, to people, right? He had a bunch of friends from, he would make from China. Um, that, that was his mission field. And and they, most people in China, they grow up atheists. They don't believe in God. And he said, this is how he would evangelize them. He would ask them the question, do you love your family? And he would answer, of course I do. Well, how do you know your love is real? And they would try to answer it. But he would keep asking them, how do you know? Isn't it just chemicals bouncing around in your head according to you? So how do you know it's actually love? And then his friends would begin to get angry. I just know I love my family. 
and it's real to me. But you can't see love. You can't measure it. You can't touch it. You can't prove it, yet you believe it. But what if God, what if I told you God is love? So you should believe him too. You see, God is love. It tells us that our deepest intuitions are true. That this world is a world of love. And it was intended to be a world of love. Where relationships were at the center of everything. And um, so the question is, why, why don't we feel that all the time, right? Why is it that when uh, we don't always experience this love in this world? That we know there is this picture of love. We know that love should look like this. And we want this love so badly. Why is it that when we look at the world, we are often disappointed. That the love in this world is often imperfect. And the reason is, is sin ruins love. And this is a, a doctrine that's fundamental to us as Christians. We believe in sin. And actually helps us understand a lot of things in the world if we would actually understand what sin is. And, you know, the Bible is very, very honest and brutally honest about the brokenness in this world. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. And sin helps us to see why even though we long for love in this world. The love we often find in this world is, is ruined. It's disappointing. It's imperfect. And so I'm going to teach you guys two things about sin, right? There's a lot more to study about sin. And I think the more we study sin, we will actually be able to appreciate what's wrong with our world, what's wrong with us. Um, and we'll be able to appreciate the love of God more. Um, but the first thing I'm going to go over today it's a big word. I'll explain it. Sin's privation, right? Sin is primarily not a thing. It's a lack, right? Sin doesn't exist on its own, right? When we say sin is privation, we're saying it's like a parasite. It doesn't exist on its own because God doesn't create sin. He doesn't create anything wrong in this world. Everything in this world is good. Only good things come from the Father of all light. That's what James says. And so... Where does sin come from? Well, sin doesn't exist by itself. It comes as a lack. It comes as a parasite upon God's good things, upon um, a distortion and a ruining of what God has created. And so what sin does to our love is it ruins it. It ruins the love that was intended to be beautiful and perfect. It, it distorts it. And we see this in verse 9 through 10. In the love that God shows to us, how God shows his love to us actually is very telling about ourselves and how our relationship with God actually is. It says, in this love, God was made manifest to us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. What that tells us is that there was a distance to overcome. The reason that God had to send his son in the world in the first place was there was a distance, a lack that sin created between us and God, an alienation. And the fact that Jesus came in order to, that we might live through him tells us that the wages of sin is death. And sin affects us all. Romans 3.23 tells us that we all fall short of the glory of God. 
And so that means we were dead in our sin. So distance was caused by our sin. Sorry, stuffy. Um, the distance was caused by sin. Sin alienates from us from God and the fruit produced in us is death. And separation from God's love. And that's why Jesus came to bridge that distance. He came to overcome the privation that sin deprived us of God's presence, God's love. He came to overcome that. And he says that, he goes on in verse 10, he says, In this is love that, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be a propitiation for us. Don't worry, I'm going to explain what that word is. It's a big word, propitiation. Um, We'll get to it. But it tells us that we did not love God. So sin is a privation of love. It's, It's a lack of love that we ought to love God, but we don't. Sin is a rebellion against God's righteousness. It's a lack of God's goodness, God's righteousness, God's love we were created to have. Because we chose to go our own way. We chose to rebel against God's love and its order. That's what sin is. Sin is not a thing that exists on its own. It's a parasite upon God's good world. It's a lack. And that's why John compares sin to darkness. Darkness is not a thing. God is light. Light is a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. And so sin is the absence of God's love. It's the absence of God's character, the absence of God's goodness when we choose to go our own way. So secondly, right, what does this teach us? Sin is alienation, right? What that means is that sin creates distance, right? Why is it that the relationships in this world are imperfect? Why do you feel awkward, why do you feel a blockage? Why do you feel like this person doesn't like me? This person must hate me. Why do you feel fear? Why do you feel shame? Why do you feel guilt? That's what sin does. It alienates us from God. It alienates us from each other. And it alienates us even from ourselves. We see when Adam and Eve fell, what was the first thing that happened? They ran from God. They hid from him. They felt fear. The fear comes. The, Jesus, the Bible says, John says, Perfect love casts out fear because fear is the fear of punishment. And Adam and Eve became afraid of God when they weren't before. When they were in perfect love and there was no fear before, when sin entered, there was fear. There was alienation from God. But then there was alienation from each other. They began to blame each other. And then there was alienation from their own bodies. They covered themselves up. They were ashamed. That's what sin does. Sin brings alienation. It ruins relationships because relationships is about connection. It's about sharing. It's about having no fear of punishment, no fear of judgment. So whenever you feel that in this world, whenever you feel the distance between you and someone else, whenever you feel the distance between you and God, whenever you feel the the fear of this person must reject me. This person will hate me. This person doesn't like me. God hates me. God does not like me. That is sin. Sin brings alienation. So the fourth point is this. What is our hope? It's the unequal love of God. That God demonstrates his love to us anyways. 
when we lacked love for him, he loved us anyways. It says um, in verse, verse 9 to 10 that we went over, right? He overcomes the, the distance. He, through his death, through his dying, he allows us to live. And then he becomes the propitiation. Now we're going to get to the word propitiation. What does it mean, right? Um, let me guys give you an example. The word propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. It means an appeasing of the wrath and anger and the punishment of God. It's like an absorbing. It's like a shield or a sponge that absorbs God's rash, wrath for you, the punishment that you deserve. Because when you sin against God, when you rebel against him, there's not just an alienation on your part. There's also an alienation on the part of God. Because God rejects you for your rebellion. He must punish you. And so what happens is Jesus comes in our place and he takes and absorbs the fear of punishment that sin has brought. He takes the punishment for it. Let me give you guys a good example of this. Um, this week was Harvest Festival or Fall Fest, and my favorite costume of the night was our brother Danny. He played this character named Zoro. He's from an anime called One Piece. And I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be honest, I'm not gonna lie, I never watched all of One Piece. I got intimidated, I tried, I was like a thousand something bajillion episodes, and I was like, oh no, this is too intimidating, I'm not even gonna start. I did watch it when I was growing up. When I was a kid, they used to play in English on TV. So I watched a few episodes. And my favorite character was also always Zoro. Because Zoro, his dream is to become the, the greatest swordsman in the world. But when he meets Luffy, his captain, he's willing to lay down his dream, give up his dream for the sake of his captain. And he's loyal to, to the, the greatest. Out of all the characters, he's the most loyal. And we see this in this one particular episode. My, my knowledge of... One Piece is not from watching because I didn't watch it. I'm going to confess. I get it from YouTube Shorts. All my knowledge of One Piece is from YouTube Shorts, okay? All right? But there's this cool moment in the series, and this is the reason why I love Zoro the best. He's, he's the coolest character. And Danny, Danny's costume was right on. It was spot on. Um, there's this episode where basically the entire team gets defeated and annihilated by this, the, by this bad guy, you know, and he's super strong, destroys them all. Uh, the captain took so much damage, he's passed out, unconscious. Last one standing is Zoro. And this guy says, oh, well, Zoro is pleading for his crew. Because he's like, please spare my crew. I'll do anything. Right? Please spare my crew. I'll do anything. No matter what it takes, I'll do it. And so, you know, the bad guy, you know, he says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a way. This is the way. I'm going to take all of the pain, all the damage that your captain took. And I'm going to put it into this this magical ball, and you're going to have to absorb it all. You're going to have to take the pace, place of your captain. And so what he does is he takes a little, like, drop of it, and he puts it on his chest, and he's, he just, like, this, he kind of, he's, like, almost unconscious. He almost goes unconscious because there's just so much damage, so much pain. Because, you know, Luffy, he's made out of rubber, so he can take a lot of damage, right? So we're just a normal guy, right? So he, just even a little bit of his captain's pain destroys him. Like, he's, he's almost trying to, he almost passes out because of the pain. And he says, let me do it in a place where no one can see me. So then the guy says, okay. He takes him to a corner somewhere where nobody knows. And then 
the scene changes and a whole crew wakes up and they're all like happy. They're like, whoa, I feel so light. My body, all the pain is gone. A miracle must have happened. And the captain doesn't feel any pain. He feels the best condition he's ever been. All the while, they don't know what's happening. They don't know what's happened. So one of the, one of the more, you know, guys with good sense, right, goes and he realizes he's missing. And he goes searching for Zoro. And you see this scene. It's super moving. He's just... He just has his arm crossed, and there's just a, a circle of blood, and he's just covered in, in, in blood, and he's just standing still, and, you know, Sanji asks him, what happened? He says, nothing, Monai. <laughs> that means nothing, right? And that's what propitiation is. Propitiation is someone absorbs all the damage and all the punishment you were supposed to receive, and he takes it upon his own body. And that's what Jesus does to remove the fear in your relationship with God, so that you would experience the perfect love that he experiences with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity that he wanted you to experience. He took all of that. He absorbed it all in himself. He said, it is nothing. Because God is love. God is love. And so the last point is, we love because God loved us. Right? If we understand this, love, then it changes everything. The problem is, in reality, you and I don't always feel God's love. And sometimes it's, it's, it's like him. It's, it's invisible, right? We cannot see it. So we're like, where is God's love? We cannot see God. But all the while, God is telling us he's, his love is, is concrete. It's real. And how does he do it? He assures us through his Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit. In verse 13, he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in us. And so what, what happens is God didn't just say he is love. He, he demonstrated it for us. He actually came into this world. Who is Jesus? He is God's Son. How do we know? He lived a sinless life. He did miracles that no one ever did. He brought healing to the broken, to the sick, to the blind. All that sin ruined in this world, Jesus brought fulfill, restoration. And finally, Jesus defeated the ultimate black, which is death. Right? Jesus died in our place that you and I would live through him. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to be a ransom for our sins, he said. He came to seek and save what is lost. He came to fulfill our need, that we needed a savior. We needed someone to remove the punishment and the fear that sin brought into our life. We need someone to be the propitiation, to take our place to absorb all the damage, all the punishment. And what we get in exchange 
This is why we call it the scandal of grace. It's a scandal because what God is getting in return and what we are getting in return is so unequal. This is what John says in what we get in return. He takes all the damage. What do we get? In verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Um, actually, no. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. As he is, so also are we in this world. What that means is what you get in exchange for Jesus taking your place and taking the punishment is you get everything that's true of him. It's true of you now in this world. Even in this world where you may not feel it sometimes, where you might feel the, the imperfection of love because love has not been perfected yet. God is all the while reminding you that in Jesus, what is true of him is now true of you. That his sinless life now covers yours. That when God looks at you, there is really no fear. There is no punishment because all he sees is his beloved son and daughter. And all there is is perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. The perfect love of Jesus Christ perfects yours and mine's imperfect love. Until the day when we are perfected ourselves. Because heaven, right, this is something we get a lot wrong a lot in, uh, in, in evangelism. And I had to correct this, right. Heaven is not about living forever. Heaven is not about a place. It's not about going to heaven. Yes, there is a place. Yes, we do live forever, but heaven is not about a place. It's not about a per, uh, 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 living forever. Because if you live forever without God, that's hell. Heaven is a world of love. Heaven is about relationships. Heaven is where all the distance and alienation and lack we feel in this world, the imperfect love we experience in this world, the disappointment we experience, all of that is removed. Heaven is a world of love and relationships. It's a world, imagine this, it's where we're in a room all together with all the people you love, with the God that you love, and there is no awkwardness, there is no distance, there is no interruption, there is no obstacle. There is only love. Love giving, love receiving, on and on and on and getting better and better forever. That is heaven. Heaven is a world of love. It's a world where we go to the place where we get to experience the relationship you and I were created for, but sin ruined. But our Savior redeemed. And so what that means for us is this. It, it means that if you feel this distance between you and God, if you feel distance between you and your neighbor, that's That's sin. That's what sin is doing. Sin causes alienation. It causes you to think that God hates you. It causes you to fear him and think that he, all he wants to do is punish you. Sin causes you to think that your neighbors don't love you, that they must hate you. It makes things awkward. But the perfect love of Christ overcomes all of that. 
And so the rhythms of Christ's relationship is, it begins with the relationship of God to us, that he has loved us perfectly in Jesus Christ. And that is why we love. We love because he first loved us. Um, with that, um, let, me, let, me, let me pray for us. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that you are, you are love. And you are just consistently. It's not that there are days off, certain days where you're not loving. God, you are love through and through. And Lord, you proved this to us by sending your only son to be the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. To give us life through his death. That we might share and participate in your spirit and be part of the perfect loving relationship where there is no more, any, no more fear. So Lord, if this is true of us, Lord, I pray then Lord, um, if we truly believe this, Lord, we we cannot help but love one another. And so, Lord, would you, if anyone is feeling distance, I pray that you would, you would point them back to the cross. And we thank you so much for that. In Jesus' name we pray.